get up in a bath of ice I'm a victim of an organized You know it is true You know this time you're never gonna get it Welcome to Cutthroat Queens Podcast, the place where urinal cakes retire into obscurity. We are here to take an open and honest look at all things indie horror. My name is Brett Mitchell-Kent. I am joined by my sister's best friends, mothers, doctors, yoga teachers, cousins, life partners, dog walkers, toilet brush, Elton Skelter, and this random woman we found passed out on a park bench, Chelsea Pumpkins. Hey. Hey. I resent that. And you're like a toilet brush that we don't bleach in between cleanings. Oh, nice. Thank you. I would like yeah. to be nowhere near your skaggy old like... barriers. <laughs> Just going <laughs> to let you fester in that like half inch of blue water. Yeah. Brown after. <laughs> your own, your own Milky filth. water. Yeah. <laughs> I don't clean toilets. Um, so I can't really comment on this, but I think that we have this little wand thing that like you like shove in this little thing and it like pulls out this little blue thing and you like clean it with that um, nobody invited this conversation like just, <laughs> stop it. So, who does just in case anybody was wondering how do we who does it yeah my yeah, husband obviously obviously Avi. did you see the disaster that was me trying to do the laundry that day how about the disaster <laughs> that is your toilet after you use it <laughs> he, i tried to do the laundry that one day and he like like talk to down to me like listen just don't do this anymore because i accidentally said it to this long self-wash cycle it was that's brutal it was a bad day to be brett but every day is a bad day to be brett and just before anybody says anything it's not intentional like what is that called where you're intentionally ignorant it's not intentional ignorance there's several things that i'm very good at but laundry isn't one of them because so, it's not something you want to take over control of so you're you, like do it badly i tried to help i he didn't tell me to i was trying to be helpful and i just completely screwed the whole pooch there um jeez oh, but we are not here to talk about my toilets or my cleaning habits we are here to talk about <laughs> indie horror indie so horror. what has everybody been reading what you got going on chelsea go first okay um I think our listeners are going to get like a weird false impression of the things that I frequently read because twice in a row now it's been like a graphic novel. Um, but I it's just she's finished... Leah Michelle. She can't read. She has to look at pictures. <laughs> Is this a pop-up book? Um, <laughs> No, I read The Keeper, and that is a new, oh God, it's probably not new anymore, um, but it's a graphic novel by Tanana Reeve Dew and her husband, Stephen Barnes, and um, let me look up the illustrator real quick. So what's it about? Hang on, I'm looking up the illustrator, one thing at a time. Ugh, lack of preparation. I know. I was trying I to really fill the space. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> so I'll cut the space, it's fine. <laughs> and it's illustrated by Marco Finnegan. Um, and this, so first of all, I'm like a huge fangirl of Tanana Reeve Do. And I'm going to bless our listeners with um, this earworm that I made up. Uh, when I first started like reading her stuff, I, was, I wasn't sure how to pronounce her name. And then I looked it up online and she has a thing on her website and it's Tanana Reeve. And I remember it by going, Tanana what's her name Ta-na-na. that's so embarrassing <laughs> shut <name>? up 
I love it. Anyway, so anytime I read read a book by her, that's in my head the entire time. Um, So The Keeper is about this young girl. The character's name is Aisha, and she becomes orphaned um, and goes to live with her grandmother. Um, And then her grandmother also falls pretty ill. Um, And she encounters this protective force um, that her grandmother like kind of bestows on her. Um, and it's this interesting, like blessing and a curse type of situation. So she, this thing, which is keeping her safe, um, is also, it comes at a cost and, um, she starts to learn that it has some nefarious roots. And so the character kind of tries to solve this mystery and like save herself and her friends from it. Um, but it was really good. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. It's a lot of like found family type of stuff. And um, the characters are, well, the main characters, oh, she's black. And she, there's like this whole kind of subplot about how her grandmother doesn't want her to end up in the state care. So she's like, it's very important that you stay with me. Like, don't tell anybody that I'm weak. I don't know. It was just super interesting. Um, And the illustrations were very good. And I enjoyed it. You got to love those stories that have, you know, uh, the main plot focusing on on the issue. But then there's that secondary plot that kind of kicks you in the throat with like yeah. being so real and intense and relatable. Um, I'm going to check this one out. I, I don't read a lot of graphic novels either. Yeah. And it was um, the illustrations were great. The hardcovers. I, that's what I got was really cool. Like the jacket was gorgeous. And then. Um, I often take the jackets off while I'm reading it. And I love when there's like a secondary design underneath, which <laughs> there was. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of subplots because um, she like lives in. Well, I'll just leave it out. There's a lot of subplots. I don't want to take up too much airspace on this. But um, yeah, definitely recommend, especially if you're a fan of her work. Um, the forward was really sweet, too, because both her and her husband talk about like a grandmother's love and how it's kind of special and unique. So I don't know. It was nice framing. I really love your earrings. I, I feel like I, I know nobody can see them, but what are they? Oh, we'll post them. We'll post a picture on social. Um, these are their bright pink. They're Sam from Trick or Treat. Oh my goodness. Mm, okay. Um, but they're pink. They're Valentine's Day, Sam. Um, and I got these from bad basement jewelry and that is run um by this artist that i've just followed for years she makes all this really cool horror jewelry like she made let me look at these she made a set of earrings recently that they look like teeth pulled out of your head and they're like dang like long and dangling yeah they're really cool oh i love it Anyway, her shop is really cool. Everyone should check it out. I hadn't bought anything from her, but I'd always followed her and been like, oh, one of these days. So I decided just to treat myself. Um, so yeah, you can follow her at Bad Basement, all one word, on Twitter. And I think she's the same on Instagram. But oh, cool. Yes, they're so cute. Their- I love them. They're gorgeous. Shame about you. It's like sticking a gold leaf I'm, on am a Am I dog ruining shit. them? <laughs> she had like a she did like a really cute valentine's day release um she has like a pink um the hell is his name from scream the ghost face yeah yeah she has like a pink ghost face on the phone 
Um, she has like a really cool Jennifer's body set too. Anyway. They look beautiful. For some earrings. Go get some. They look beautiful. You're you're so dressed up today. I feel like such a bum. <laughs> yeah, you know, look at my so nice. sweatpants and baggy. <laughs> so you just did the newscaster dress up. You got all pretty from the waist up. <laughs> I pretty much just got pretty from the neck up. <laughs> I mean, we uh, all look gorgeous today. So we do. We're a handsome bunch. <laughs> Brett, what are well, you up to lately? Up to lately, horror, no. <laughs> Horror-wise. Horror-wise. Um, so I actually have been getting through the the book that I posted on our Twitter was A Bouquet of Viscera by Bridget Nelson. Oh my God, that um, cover. That that was why I actually bought it. I didn't read anything about it when I saw it. I just saw it. I was like, wow, that is insane. And it even has internal, like not specific illustrations, but there's kind of like a framing around every page and it just really immerses you in the experience. But beyond just how beautiful it is, um, it is insane. (laughs) So the first story is about a a gal that can see auras and um, she kind of goes vigilante and it just, it gets increasingly more intense. And then by the end of that story, you know that you cannot expect anything that's going to be coming for the rest of it uh, because it just completely kicks you in the teeth. I've, how many times have I said kicked? Like, am I, I'm in a mood apparently for the kicking because it's like the third Uh-oh. time I've referenced it today. <laughs> um, you think my husband's out of town? No, I'm kidding. I would never do that. And <laughs> um, so there, there's a lot of different aspects to it. There's, you know, some nautical themes, some, some that are kind of cyber, but it's all very visceral the name is good for that it's visceral it's gory and it's not holding back anything i 100 recommend it um great book and they're all bridget it. nelson stories it's a collection Correct. yeah it's a collection not an anthology not an yeah anthology. we had to we had to educate brett on the differences recently it, it still doesn't make sense to me i don't understand um but if, if you tell me it's a collection, it's a collection. So collection. It, it's great. Uh, uh, we'll link to it. Even yeah, it's a good one to check out. And wait, wait a second. Wasn't this uh, nominated as well for Splatterpunk? It was. Yeah. For best collection. It is a Splatterpunk award nominee. Awesome. Go Bridget. Yeah. So, uh, and it's, it's worth that. Yeah. That, that definitely checks out. Awesome. I wonder where did you buy it? I bought it on Amazon. Um, <gasps> she, I'm just kidding. Is, that's, <laughs> I, I, it linked from what she linked, I believe, is where I got it from. But No, that's cool. Um, I wanted to take a second while we're talking about buying books to tell our listeners, um, if you haven't checked out our show notes and you may not have noticed, but we do have a bookshop.org storefront. Um, so what that means is if you shop on bookshop.org, which supports indie booksellers, um, you uh, like a percentage of your purchase, if you shop through our shop, will go to us. So if you want to support the podcast while you're buying your books, that would be amazing. Um, and we try to keep up with all the books that we mention in our podcast episodes. So you can kind of just shop around bookshop for anything, but we like have like a running list of all the books that we recommend that are on this website. So anyway, well, I'll do a little extra tweet about that so you can see it out. So you can check it out. She loves the tweet. 
I do. I'm a Twitter. You're a Twitter. Twitter. That's cool. That book sounds awesome, though, Brett. Who is the cover designer? Cover and interior art by Lynn Hansen at lynnhansenart.com. And the book, cover, the book design and formatting was by Todd Kiesling at Dullington Design Co. Oh, I love Todd Kiesling. I always thought it was Kessling. But it was Kiesling. I'm Sorry not. If you butchered your name, Todd. Somebody <laughs> Sorry, that Todd. you should lean into for <laughs> properly pronunciating things. I mean, I'm pronouncing. Pronouncing or enunciating. <laughs> proper pronunciation um but it's it's todd i got that part probably i don't todd know okay i mean me know. <laughs> a lot of people know him i'm sure they can figure it out have you, you got either of you guys read any of his work i have not no not yet i read the scan lines not long ago um it's so eerie it's kind of um vintagey kind of just reminded me of like that whole nostalgia thing from the the 90s anthology because it's about like a possessed snuff movie kind of thing it's really cool you should definitely check that one out yeah cool but that's not what i've been reading this month i'm going to tell you about what i have been reading this month um i see your splatterpunk nominee and i raise you a superior achievement in fiction collection on the stoker's preliminary ballot for paula d ashes we are here to hurt each other you know, when you are reading something and it feels like anxiety, but like warm, like nice anxiety, but not excitement. It's kind of like that. Like the whole thing is horrifying and it lends itself so perfectly to sort of a really, really gothic feel to it. Oh. And the the weird, creepy guy on the front cover with the face of teeth is like a recurring character throughout it. But the thing that really struck me about it was it's really lyrical. It's really like the prose is really sort of musical it has a beat to it and it just when you read it it's kind of it's not like reading just a normal story it's like you're treating yourself to just something wonderful in your ear holes and I can't rec- uh, recommend it enough it's it's really it's astounding and I think it was her first collection as well which is even more impressive but yeah um we are here to hurt each other Paula D. Ash, definitely check that one out I am really excited because Howells picked that to read in a couple of weeks. Um, and I have a hard time getting through, as you know, collection, any like short story collection or anthology quickly, but based on your review, I think I'll be able to do it in a week. It opens up with a piece of flash as well. It's like, it must be less than 500 words, that first piece. And it just kind of sets the tone for the rest of it. Nice. And just, and it, it's, got like a rhetorical question at the end of it it just kind of really it pulls you in it lived in my head rent free I read the first like the first story just as a standalone before I started properly getting into it and I just couldn't stop thinking about it afterwards and I think that's the mark for a really really, like clever book to open that way and be that inviting oh man I'm excited awesome um that she's also putting that out on godless the 25th so what this is coming out the 24th so everybody tomorrow you can buy it on godless and support an indie ebook seller and read her collection do it yeah i, do I it. can't wait to check that one out that sounds so, so she's, been, up get, my she's alley. been getting a lot of buzz as well she's been doing some like local readings in her area and stuff and like all of the praise that she's been getting for this book is entirely 100 percent deserved um yeah 
Just when did it come out? It, enough. it was last year, so it was on the 2022 ballot. But um, Oh, okay. But I think it's just really now starting to get a lot of traction and a lot of people are talking about it because it's been put as a uh, recommended read on the Stoker ballot. So Beautiful. That's awesome. Go, Paula. We have so many people to root for. I love it. I know. <laughs> um, we also had a movie night. Brett couldn't make it because he was sick. Megan, and it was really fun. Just campy and... Unnecessary dancing. Unnecessary singing. <laughs> I, I liked the dancing. That, that part, I did too. I did too. It, it, it got yeah. me. Um, as far as the the overall movie went, I I thought that the the child actors actresses were insane in that. I I watched it separately. I don't know if I told you that, Elton. Um, but the, the yeah. child actresses were like they could just carried that film. I wasn't a big fan of um, some of the adult actors in there uh, specifically the the two guys i think um i was like hold are it down you a little. coming are you coming for allison williams right now because like, we no. could fight um <laughs> I, I actually it was it's odd but it was kind of an even split i feel like all of the the female performers were like superior in it and then the, the two guys kind of dragged it down i'm sorry but we I don't know. We, we said we'll take an honest look at things that's yeah, my and Jordan Alvarez, who's the guy who played the the technician who worked in our office, he's always good. He's he's a naturally comedic actor, and he does these, especially through lockdown, he did these hilarious videos being um, about this this psychic called Marnie, like getting in touch with your spiritual side, and it was huh. just really, really funny. It was like using those filters with a really huge mouth. So he's like <laughs> a hilarious comedian usually, but the guy who played the boss. I don't understand. It's like they just pulled some some random stranger off the street and were just like, read these lines out. Like, you know. I kind of was wondering if it was intentional. Well, like just <laughs> I was we like, it was no, I was like, has this it guy was really read lines before? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah considering like, know. you know, it was a it was a good movie. And, and yeah, it was it was kind of campy and stuff, but like everyone else seemed to be like talented except that one man. <laughs> I feel terrible saying it, but yeah, it just it was really, really noticeable. And I wonder if it was just because we were supposed to think he was a dickhead. So I don't know. Um, I've seen some people that, that are dickheads that can still act. So. <laughs> this is true. Okay. Oh my god. In this exact moment, I'm learning that Megan was an actress. <laughs> I didn't what? know that. I, I thought she was what like... childhood actors did you think I was talking about? <laughs> Well, when you said plural, I was like, what is he talking about? You do realize about? he didn't just build a murder bot to do this film, right? Realized, did I you? legitimately thought no, she was it's like an she, actual CGI'd. little girl that yeah. was doing all. I mean, it's insane. It doesn't look like her at all. Did they like they put make, a mask on? Oh my God, yeah. I need to research. There was prosthetics. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow, she was so she good. She was so then. good. Sometimes I feel like you didn't even watch the making of Megan like the rest of us did. There's a making. There's so up? many videos showing like the the back behind the scenes stuff. Oh no, I didn't watch that. Oh, I did. I had to. Oh my god. Yeah. That's amazing. She's really yeah. good. Go her. I hope she gets more work. I thought the girl who played Katie, the human, <laughs> the little human girl, was really really good. Like she just nailed like these expressions mm-hmm. that like were perfect of a little girl that age. Um. But yeah, I enjoyed it. I had a good time. There is a gorier version coming out of, of 
a gorier version of it coming out this week and I was pissed that I re-watched it without knowing that I was like oh I would have waited like three days but it's fine good good I I haven't rewatched it again so I can rewatch the gorier version without I mean I might as well just do it I can't believe that's a little girl it's not the same girl doing the voice as it is doing the the acting I think the girl doing the voice is the uh, Penny Nickeldown girl, the viral TikTok sensation person. She's like had a viral video before, so she's the one doing the voice. Oh. Um. So she is she the one who says now would be a good time to run? Yeah. Wasn't the the girl that played Katie in Doctor Sleep? Is that the same? Oh, she does look really familiar. I think you're right. Hang on. I'm on IMDb, so I can find it easily. Oh, I clicked on the wrong Dr. Thing. Sleep is one that hit me right in the feels. I <laughs> That one. Dr. Sleep was so good. It was good. so good. And it, it kind of, it's it was triggering. You guys know that I have the, the struggles through, like, trigger warning child harm. Um, and that one did not hold any <laughs> punches back from me in that regard it was no it, was rough. it didn't really rough mm. she was in doctor mm. sleep yeah she was also in haunting of hill house was she what a little dynamo yeah she played baby oh, Nell. she saw the that was my favorite lady. actress like was my favorite in that that show i loved her oh, that's i would rewatch yeah, that show actually um but i think that talking about megan is a good setup for our guest today because he's a murder robot that movie was just like <laughs> yeah because elton's a murder robot and he's going to help our guest through coping no um no because the the the, the movie had so many strong women characters like it was very female focused yeah. and women driven mm-hmm. um and women of all different kinds so Anyway, yeah, so that's a perfect setup for it. A good setup for, yeah, for this uh, women centered episode. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back with our guest after this musical interlude. All right, we're back from a little break and we're ready to welcome our guest, Jolie Tumajan, to the show. Um, Jolie is a writer, editor, PhD student, and all around ghoul. Her dissertation in progress is about the woman who wrote for Weird Tales. She is the editor of Aseptic and Faintly Sadistic, an anthology of speculative hysteria fiction, which we're going to talk about today. And her work has appeared in Black Static and Death in the Mouth, among other places. Despite all of this, her plan for the zombie apocalypse is to pour a bottle of hot sauce over her head. Jolie, welcome. All of this welcome. is true. Hi. 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 Thanks for having me. Tell us about this hot sauce plan. I don't know about the flavor. I'm not like a hot sauce aficionado like everybody else is. So now, I mean, I was just going to go for like sriracha. Just, you know, old faithful. Is, is it to draw zombies or to scare them away? 
Oh, it's to make me taste better for them so that it's yeah, easier. Yeah, Sriracha's the right choice. Yeah. <laughs> like they care. Which which kind of zombies are we talking about here? Are we talking about the fast running 28 days later ones or the the evil dead slow walking uh, brains ones? Oh, um, I don't know. Thinking that you'd survive either one is just an absolute ego. <laughs> so the I slow think ones that... seem like you could just run away. Yeah, but that no, one. I don't, I don't run. Fast. I would just lie down. But uh, yeah, right. I'm not that fast either. Like, oh, I gotta move. I mm. <laughs> I was just vaping. How how long do I have to run? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the new zombies in The Last of Us are really scary. There's like different kinds, all in the same apocalypse. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. Jesus, I'd, I'd, I know. I'd die in that one. I would totally die. Oh yeah, immediately, immediately. I'm a huge fan of The Last of Us. And uh, day one, day one, I figure I would just immediately be shot by the military for looking sketchy. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, did you play know. the game too before? You I did. I actually played the game, and I wrote an article about it for Grimm. I wrote uh, a fun little think PC essay about how uh, I don't want to spoil it for anybody. So we'll just say that. Uh, there is no humanity to save. Like at this point, humanity's already gone. Stop it. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> we are the girls. Have you have you seen the people who are left? Like, mm, mm. Mm. See, I'm a huge <laughs> fan. I'm a huge fan. I played both of them. I'm a huge gamer. I'm a nerd. So my husband plays a lot of the horror-esque games. So he does like I, I do like horror board games. He does the actual horror video games. So he played Last of Us and like the devil inside and if you haven't played that, that one's a really, really neat one. And that whole themeology of games, and, and they're really neat. I personally would not survive a zombie apocalypse. I, I'm not a hero. I'm right? more of like a runaway and I think survival the door means kind of guy. not being a hero, though. Surely it means being selfish and a complete bastard. Yeah, yeah, that. I mean, <laughs> if, but, but you if are there's a, a door, you are a parent I'm shutting well. it. <laughs> so. Yeah, you would inevitably die because you are a parent and parents would literally do anything to save their kids and get their kids to somewhere safe. So all parents have that opportunity of being like, I'm going to throw myself down in front of the zombie horde to save my kid. So Only my kids. My most upsetting moment would be dealing with the pets. Yes, mm. that's exactly. It would be like, uh, you guys are locked in the house forever now and you're eating before I am. That's why I'm not going to survive. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm not going to survive because I'm going to be feeding like the canned tuna to the cats. Like, no, you guys have it. But then at least they get a few good meals after you die as well. So they oh, live yeah. longer than you. Oh, yeah. But I do want to talk about aseptic, 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 aseptic and faintly, and faintly sadistic. Yes. Tell us yes. about your aunt, your debut anthology. Oh, it's everything. Um, I don't even know where to start. I'm like so excited about it. I've been excited since the call opened. I've been excited since I got in the slush pile. Like it's, it's so incredible. Um, so aseptic and faintly sadistic originally was the brainchild of Carson winter and Charles Tyra over at CHM cosmic car monthly. They knew when Roe v. Wade fell that they wanted to help, that they wanted to do like an anthology, but they knew that they weren't probably the right ones, especially as like, what are we going to do? Who are we going to have in it? What theme are we going to use? They knew that probably they weren't the right ones to do that, to direct that. And so Carson, you know, as we were sort of brainstorming and like the writing group and stuff, I was like, oh yeah, I'll help. I'll do whatever. I figured I was going to like slush or write. (laughs) That'll fool me. But he was like, no, no, no. How about you edit it? 
And I was like, all right, I will invent the time because like I live in the middle of nowhere right now. And so whenever anything happens, my singular option is like a strongly worded letter. Do you know what I mean? Like that, what am I going to do? Nothing. There's no protest. There's like 10,000 people here. Like there's nothing to do. And so whenever anything terrible happens, like I have nowhere to like put those big feelings and so even though I have like, so I have a day job and then a full time, I get my doctorate full time. I'm finishing my dissertation. I was like, no, you know what? Like, no, I'm like fighting this in my own little way. Like I'm doing something like, no, I felt you couldn't have told me that I wasn't like a suffragette at the front lines. Like, that's it. Like, no, I get to do something. I get to like concrete help. And so that's sort of how I got involved in it. That's amazing. It's, it's, it's been such a, like a wonderful experience, like top to bottom, everything about it has been, my inbox hasn't been super fun, but, <laughs> but everything else, I've got a couple pro-lifers who are not happy with me. And are they still coming after you? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, okay. I get it. You don't agree. Yeah. Nobody cares. Stay mad about me. Die mad about me. I don't know what to tell you. And so like, I got a little bit of that in my inbox, but other than that, and I sort of like, I'm like a spite elemental. I feed on it. Like, no, 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 no. Get mad at me. I love it. Go ahead. Be mad. Your, your spite and the, how it has fueled you and your passion that like, uh, that just came out as you were talking about it totally came through in your introduction too. I am hashtag blessed to be able to read an arc of this. And I'm still kind of in the middle of it because I'm a slow reader. Uh, much to Carson's dismay. Seriously, um, Chelsea, you had one job. Hey, I read a lot of it. I'm still going. <laughs> okay, you you were the blessed one, though. When I asked for an arc, you were like, they will never give you one. That's not how it happened. I it just is. said I she couldn't She wanted to be special. <laughs> she wanted to be special and be the only one who read it, and then she didn't read it. How underprepared can I you I am be? reading it! <laughs> She's not the only one with an arc, either. That's right, Elton. Where's yours? Yeah. Where's mine? Yeah. Honestly, you're, enough, you're, you're really just the only one that doesn't have one. Have Everybody you got one? else got one. Yeah, yeah I have one does. to all of our friends. I don't everybody have any friends. One. I'm literally <laughs> just here for my my token Britishness. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually have one. No, no, I don't have one. You better not. No. <laughs> but I love the way you just spun not only like your rage and frustration at the situation, but it also just like kicked it off for the entire antho. Um, and it's coming out in all these stories. And I don't know, your introduction was just beautiful and made me like really excited. Oh, that's good. Because the first draft of that introduction was like, now listen to me, you fucking fucks. I'm about fucking sick and tired of you pieces of shit having something to fucking say about nothing that has nothing to fucking do with you. And then we walked that back. I honestly think that listen to you, you fucking fucks is just the perfect name. I'm literally going to call the episode. Yeah. Fuck you. You fucking fucks. You fucking fucks. Oh my God. My mom's going to love this. That will be yes. Do it. (laughs) Oh, I'm so happy. I, raised her i got her all this education and she's so raised a little girl and you send her off and this is what you get hey that is as a father of two girls i'm very excited (laughs) (laughs) and you were saying like there's you're like there's so much in it and i totally agree like the interpretations that people have taken on the theme of hysteria so far have like Mm. really blown me away just really imaginative and I don't want to spoil anything but I know I know I don't either I'm like so excited to start talking about these stories I'm so excited for everybody to get to read them the quality of the slush pile was like humbling and not like I'm supposed to say that like 
like I got into the slush pile and my immediate fear was like, okay, oh my God, what if I can't find like 50,000 words that I, yeah, that wasn't the problem. The problem was that I had to make a hundred thousand words that I didn't want to part with like 60,000 words. And uh, this, I just, so many of those stories should be out in the world. I can't wait to see some of the ones that we rejected out in the world. Like, and the ones that we've got are just phenomenal, phenomenal. And there's so much rage and horror and fear and anger. And like, it's just a powerhouse of a collection. I'm like, it's such an honor to be the director of all of it and to get all the shitty emails. Please send them my way. (laughs) If anybody has any angry, shitty emails (laughs) about my pro-choice anthology, please, by all means, send them over. All of my DMs are open. Love it. You are if I get enough, I'm going to start sponsoring them. I think I'm just going to start like, <laughs> all right, who wants to donate $25 on behalf of this dude? <laughs> that would be, people would totally do that. That would be amazing. But you're the perfect leader for it. You're like, you're so protective and impassioned. So these stories are in excellent hands. Speaking of your, the, some of the nasty emails you got, I know some of those were kind of because of the limit, limited demographic nature of the submission call. And unfortunately, we know that those can kind of be controversial. I don't think any of us here on this call find them controversial. Um, But why was I wanted you to talk about why it was important to you to structure the call that way? The language I used for the call was really specific. It was those directly at risk from the overturn of Roe versus Wade, um, which was a phrase to me suggested by Ray Knowles, who is a phenomenal author. And everybody listening to this, go Google and check her out. Some of the pushback about the limited call was like super turfy and like beam it. Like you're not the person that this is for anyway. Yeah. You're not going to read anything in this and get it. None yeah. of this is being written at your level. And I'm not saying that to be like, we are clearly in two different lanes going in two different directions. And so some of the pushback was about like the fact that I didn't say the word woman, which I won't be because that's not how that works because I am a full-fledged science school as like a day job. I'm a medical editor. And so you will not be arguing with me down about that. Um, And the other reason it was super important for me to do this, and this is just for me. Don't send me angry emails about this. I'm very fragile. Um, For me. I've gotten that from this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) For me, um, in terms of activism, when you're doing help like that, to me, it's important that resources, money, and labor go to an affected community and aren't taken from an affected community. Sometimes that has to happen. Shit happens, man, we're all doing the best we can. But for me, especially because we were paying six cents a word, the purpose of the project wasn't only to raise money for this wonderful organization that benefits the Chicago Abortion Fund, The purpose was also to get some money into some necessary pockets in the horror community. And like, I didn't, because the call was going to be limited to people who were directly at risk, I didn't want to like not pay anybody, be like, hey, you just had something terrible happen. You've lost all of your bodily autonomy. Can I have 250 bucks? (laughs) That's, that wasn't what we were going to do. Like, that's not going to sit right with my heart. So I'm not doing that. I was thinking really deliberately about like where I wanted the money from both the sales to go and from the original call to go. I wanted all of it to benefit 
in the immediate as many people as we could possibly benefit. And so that's why it was important for me to keep it limited to people directly at risk. I got some incredible pieces, but the writer would not be from the United States that I had to say no to. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Them's the breaks, man. I wanted to put money in the pockets in the horror community. And then I wanted to further do some good work with it. And so that's sort of how we ended up with that limited call. Everybody mad about that can also stay mad about that. <laughs> fuck you, you fucking fucks. As yeah, say. exactly. <laughs> I'm the Catherine Queen. Leave me the fuck alone. I'm trying to work here. Like, nobody asked. I got it. Got it. I have a world to save, okay? No, I love that reasoning. I don't think... I think a lot of people who get mad about it don't consider that aspect of it where they see it as like, oh, now I can't get into this thing instead of like, these people are getting paid for this. And that's important too. And plus Um, like, isn't the one thing that you hear all the time is, well, if you want to go make your own. Okay. I did. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Like I mean, I did. You told me to go make my own and I did. I listened to you. Everybody's very happy now. And I think it's important that a lot of conversation revolves not just in the horror community, but in, in the overall theme of the world and how it's evolving is pay attention to the spaces you occupy. And that's just mm-hmm. one of that. It wouldn't really be a space for, I guess, myself or Elton um, to occupy in this situation that should be funneled to the folks that should be occupying that space mm-hmm. and telling that story. And especially with the topic of hysteria. Mm-hmm. That is such a weighted, gendered topic. Yes, it that, is. Like, <laughs> I am sure, I am sure that I missed out on some absolutely brilliant work about hysteria by like AMAB men, cis men. I'm sure I did. Oh, but God. that wasn't who I wanted to hear from at that yeah. moment. Do you know what I mean? Like, I wanted, and at that moment, especially given how, you know, I imagine a lot of people felt like I did, like frustrated and scared and like, what do I even do? Like, what do I even do? And so, like, I wanted to give voice to something. I wanted to give voice to to folks who had had charges of, you're just being hysterical. Do you know what I mean? Who had been historically treated terribly by the medical establishment when hysteria was a diagnosis. Like I wanted to give that voice. Yeah. And so that was the purpose of it. And, you know, you don't have to be all things to all people. It's a secret, but I've got my other mug for the day too. My other mug of coffee from her. Oh my God. Don't talk to me until I've had (laughs) my abortion. I love it. Um, So many of the stories too, as you were talking about, you know, the theme of hysteria, like they deal with so much like gaslighting, and one thing I love is that mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of the stories, um, the women or the main characters like really do kind of take back their agency or they they bond with another woman and mm-hmm. and kind of get some sort of revenge or not not all of them, but um it's so I'm finding every story so powerful. So I'm excited yeah. for others to read it. I too. noticed when I was going through the slush pile that there were a lot of themes that were repeating. And like I actually didn't take that as like. I didn't take it as like cliche. Mm. I took it as like, like, you know, there's a reason like haunted house stories tend to lend themselves to like family drama. Do you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And so I took it as like, when I was reading it that like, oh no, like this must be how this, there's like a lot of bird imagery. I noticed caged, uncaged, you'll get there. Caged, (laughs) uncaged birds. There's a lot of uh, like gender dystopia, medical dystopia. There's a lot of, 
wonderful stuff about like sexuality and family and coming to moments of catharsis, like so good. So good. And so, but I felt like, oh, these must be like lending itself really naturally to the way that all of this feels. Mm -hmm. And so I actually tried to pick from like the gamut of all of those when I was putting them together. And so like, I'm so happy that you notice that it's like, no, 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 no. There's like a lot of like getting your agency back or getting encaged or destroying things. Like yeah. there's a lot of like, oh, you're going to have to, that's you. <laughs> okay. Elton, what I'm going to need you to cut out is me saying that the anthology is so good every six minutes. <laughs> the entire <laughs> podcast. He'll, he'll do it. If you send him an arc. <laughs> Yes, actually, because the two stories that you did send me, I fell in love with immediately, particularly the one by uh, Kelsey Yu, who mm. is such a strong, like, powerhouse female oh my God. POC oh. voice in this in this industry. And I, I love her. I, that was such a good story. It's so powerful. And it, it was told from the perspective of, of minority fetishism. And it was just, it was very, very powerful, and very captivating. So as somebody who's only read one of the one or two of the stories from this anthology, if that's the way it all goes, I'm sold. It's brilliant. Oh my God. Oh, and when I saw her in the inbox, I did the little like, like, <laughs> like, like, cause I'm not just like, like, I'm a fan. Like I'm a writer. I'm a fan. I'm like an academic. I read everybody's stuff. And so like, I got in that inbox and geeked out. I was like, oh my God, these people sent me their stories. And she was one of them. And then when I read it, I like just leaned back in the chair for a minute. Like, yeah, right. right I like that. Spoiling it. A really interesting perspective. Wait till you read the, I didn't send it to you. The last story too. I picked the last story very, very deliberately on purpose because of the message of the last story. And it was, it was another sort of different take on that kind of like another take on objectification that was just stunning. I, I can't wait till you guys see it. So far things are going well. I'm leaving time for, um, I learned a lot doing this. So I'm leaving time for the disaster that I know is coming. I know it's coming. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it will be, but I know it's on the way. And so we're going <laughs> to, we're going to just block off the couple weeks for that. Perfect. Um, and so, yeah, you guys will be seeing that soon. Yeah, Maybe I'll send a, a physical pre-sale links and everything. We'll put it in our attached document and we'll make sure that everyone knows from, from our end of the, the little corner of Twitter that we exist in, um, that, that it's available to, to pre-order. We'll get you some, some good money going back to the Chicago abortion fund. Yes, I cannot wait. I cannot wait. I'm just excited for the physical copy. I know that Elton wants the arc, but I, it's so stunning. I have like a specific shelf that I put like my friend's work on. Um, this one is just so beautiful. Who was the artist that did that one? Uh, Mary, Mary Esther Munoz. Google that. Just go to her Instagram and just lean back and bask. Just, <laughs> yeah. just, oh my God. I've been such a fan of hers for so long. I'm a huge, I follow a ton of artists on Instagram. I'm one of those people who like can't draw a straight line with a ruler. Like there's no way. And so like, I find that anybody who's like a master of their craft, like really, really magical. And she's a master of her craft. Yeah. Everything she does is just phenomenally beautiful her style is really striking she does these beautiful decaying bodies bursting with like fungi and flowers being reclaimed they're phenomenal she does it all by hand all of that is like ink and watercolor oh, like wow. she goes on instagram live and draws and i just sit there like Ooh! like how i have the original and it's like in person like the, the cover doesn't do it justice oh my god in that's person, so wonderful you have the original that's so i cool. had to 
I had, there was just no way I had to. This, this project's my baby. And plus she is like the coolest human being you could possibly run into. Like we're all ghouls. Do you know what I mean? Like we're all kind of weird, but she's like a ghoul, like straight on my weird ass little wavelength. (laughs) Like, do you know what I mean? So we would like talk on the phone a little bit to like hammer out stuff. And at one point, like B came in the room and was like, so do I need to be worried? Or cause you sound like you're about to like Thelma and Louise it across the country with this girl. (laughs) (laughs) You sound like you have been friends for 40 years. And so she was phenomenal. She was on my list of dream artists for my collection cover. But as soon as I knew how this collection was going, like there was nobody else I wanted. If you have an opportunity, she does, she does commission. She does work. She works for hire. If anybody out there has an opportunity to work with her, you cannot go wrong. Like I had such a great time working with her and I'm just in awe of what she created. That cover is stunning. It's so beautiful. I just don't know how you chose. I'm looking through her her page and well i think I'm it's just... original right this one is mostly original it's got a couple of her background elements that she took and changed up there's actually a piece of i think almost every story somewhere in the cover she's amazing there's like a peony you know because there's a, a peony that won't spoil anything there's a peony in a story the keyhole is from Chelsea Yu's story. Oh, oh the, the spider, the radishes. From, yes, oh my the God. spider is from the Dark Mother's Call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she did, she did great. I let her into the yes file and she went bananas. And she did uh, one of hers in the usual style using elements from all the stories. So easy to work with. If she said you were going to have it like on the 15th, it was there at 7.58 a.m. on the 15th. Like so great. And the cover oh. is so beautiful. We're thinking, I'm trying, I'm trying to get merch done. We're not a money machine. Like I'm not a money machine, but I'm trying because a lot of people were marked on the cover. And so I'm trying to at least get like maybe some stickers or some mugs done for some like fun pre-order stuff. Like a mug would be gorgeous. Even just a print. Wait, first of all, you said you wanted her for your collection. Do you have a collection in the works or just like future dreams? I have a collection in the works. But because I have to defend my dissertation in November, nobody's going to see it for like two years. Um, Like that's just fudge college. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Fudge college. Honestly, I really hope that kid, I, what are the chances of him listening to this? Let's send it to him. Let's tag Lisa. You're famous on our Twitter. Yes. We will tag Lisa and you will get a million. We should. We should. (laughs) Um, We arrive guys. Yes. She and I have spent this <laughs> entire time now. She and I have now spent the entire 45 minutes, I know, fully resisting, not just devolving into full on like real housewives talk. Like this might be, maybe this is our moment. <laughs> I know that you have teased to me that you have a whole theory about flowers in the attic or a VC Andrews Venn diagram with the real housewives. So why don't you take, you got like five minutes to, to dissertate this. <laughs> oh man. Oh God. <laughs> All right. Real Housewives are the most gothic shows on television. I will fight you in the parking lot about this. Like this is, (laughs) no, these are the most gothic shows on TV. The academic Brian Moylan. There's a guy who studies them though. Right. If I knew that was an option, I certainly wouldn't be doing this. God damn. But he said something that was like the Real Housewives 
is this absurd, obsessive, grotesque behavior backgrounded by like obscene wealth. And like, that's the most gothic thing that I can think of. Every episode is like a rendition of Rebecca where everybody's drunk. Like there's just nothing. (laughs) Every episode of every season and Salt Lake City is the most gothic one of all. Like there's just, it is VC, it, it is, it is VC Andrews top to bottom. There's the one where that they say that she married her grandfather to make it, which is actually less salacious than what actually happened, which was this whole family argument about who was going to marry the grandmother's husband. Like that's like their step grandfather. So we've already got somebody marrying inside their own family. Right. Heather was Mormon royalty who knows where all the bodies are buried. She's got like one foot in and like one foot out of this world. She's like kind of snaky, you know, she's like a really good VC Andrews villain. And then um, like Whitney, right. Is this fun, like wonderful free spirit with this horrible dark past. And like, can't remember like pieces of her childhood. It's my sweet Audrina fan fiction. Oh my God. You're never, I will never stop watching these. I'll never, oh my God, if they ever take SLC off the air, you're going to have to like check on me. Like I'm not. <laughs> I will be checking on you if that happens. I'm not. And if you too, Brett Elton, if you are not watching these, you, one of them it's just so went to good. federal prison, went to federal prison for scamming old people. And she's the least interesting one. <laughs> but they, they came to arrest her on the show. On camera. All on camera. It was amazing. On camera. And all of these girls are like in the sprinter van while she's being arrested, like screaming and calling their lawyers. One of them thinks that like the cops are strippers because like this can't be happening. (laughs) It's incredible. It's amazing. I cannot suggest it enough. I cannot. Just watch the first episode of the first season of Salt Lake City and just... Tell me that it is not just gothic horror top to bottom. I will. Even just Meredith in the bathtub. Oh my God, Meredith. High off her ass. Meredith like in that-, that voice that that I'm a <laughs> countess. Hello, I'm Meredith Motts. Like disengaging. <laughs> I'm not engaging. Like there's no <laughs> these people are completely surreal. It's it is better than every horror movie I've seen in the past <laughs> six months. You cannot. I'm, I'm like, on board. We will we will add that to the notes. Just under your uh, your horror movie recommendations is uh, Real Housewives yeah. of FLC. I think this is really our path to fame, though, guys. Like we can tag Bravo Andy. We're gonna tag mm-hmm. Lisa Marlowe. <laughs> These creeps cannot get enough. And SLC isn't the only one I watch. I watch a bunch of them. Chelsea, you too, right? Yep. Yep. I watch. New York City, New Jersey. You and my mom got me into Potomac, Atlanta. New Jersey just came back. Now I'm trying to get you into that one. Um, Yeah, there's even more than that, Brett. I only watch like half of them. Oh my God. There's dozens and dozens and dozens of them. There are. There's one in Dubai that I really wanted to see. I didn't get to watch that one. I'm going to try and catch up. There's a Melbourne. Oh. And I think they're doing one in South Africa now too. Ooh. God, that sounds deadly and amazing. I wanted to watch the Dubai one just for like the extravagance. Tell us about the Chicago abortion fund and why 
and why you picked it. So they, Charles and Carson sort of asked me where the money should be going. And I want, I knew I wanted to do an abortion fund and not one of like the larger umbrella organizations. Cause those do good work. Like, don't get me wrong, but they do different work. Yeah. And when you're looking at like pound for pound, like who's on the ground helping women and other pregnant people get access to abortion services immediately who is fixing direct immediate problems it's abortion funds all day do you know what i mean like they're the ones who are really going to be doing this and so when we went to pick one all right we had a bunch of criteria um we wanted a fund that had several years of operation under its belt we wanted one that had a really good rating on um charity navigator i know what you're talking about yeah, yeah, the one that like yeah, them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's like a website that's like really good for that. So they had to have a good rating on that. They needed to have uh they needed to be trusted, a long-time established organization. And we also wanted very specifically to pick a state where we knew that abortion access was going to be safe in the long term. And it looks like for the foreseeable future, it's going to be Illinois. And Illinois actually, I think, just further put protections for abortion access in their constitution. So like, they're all right, right? They're set there. It's protected there, but it's located in this sea of states where abortion is not accessible, where reproductive healthcare isn't accessible. And so it looks like Chicago is going to be the nearest place for like the middle of the country where abortion is going to be safe for a long time. And I suspect that, you know, most of the Midwest is going to be going there when they need to get, you know, reproductive health care, um, including in emergencies. And so that seemed like the Chicago Abortion Fund was a phenomenal place. It was a safe charity where we know the money is going to do a lot of good. We know the area is going to need a lot of help. We know that it's going to be this problem isn't going to go away. It's very ghoulish. But actually at like one of the meetings, one of the first meetings that I had with them, you know, we were talking about timelines and I was like, you know, like there's no danger of me getting my rights back. Like we're not, this is a long-term problem we're having. And so this doesn't have to come out in two weeks. This is a long-term problem. Like we we need like a long-term solution. Yeah. Take Um, your time. We'll always need the money. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Take your time. This isn't, I'm in no danger of being a full human being in the near future. And so the Chicago abortion fund specifically is so great. Let me look at notes because I want to make sure I'll misrepresent myself all day, but I don't want to other people. I don't want to misrepresent. So from their website directly, the mission of the Chicago abortion fund is to advance reproductive autonomy and justice for everyone by providing financial, logical, and emotional support to people seeking abortion services and by building collective power and fostering partnerships for political and cultural change. So what they do specifically is they provide grants between $100 and $300 to people seeking abortion services, and they attempt to give this grant to 100% of the people who contact them for help. Um, They also provide assistance in locating additional funding, uh, travel. And so, yeah, they provide direct cash in hand grants to 100% of the people who contact them. They're a fantastic organization. They are busy, busy. Um, And so please, you know, buy my anthology, but also don't, you know, don't limit yourself. By all means, send them a little bit of money too. Um, Help us, help us, because some of us don't have access to medical care anymore. 
it's an emergency. No, I like, I love that. There's so much thought that you put into who you picked. And I think especially in emergencies, like you get tons, you get inundated with people asking for Mm -hmm. donations and it can be kind of hard to parse out, like what's the best place to go. So, um, I appreciate you doing all that research. (laughs) I've done it. I mean, I've done some, I sort of knew what I was doing. I came into it. It's one of the reasons I got to be editor is because I came into it with some knowledge I've done, like not anymore. I'm old and I'm tired. And now I'm like the, the activist who like makes you cookies and like, here's your sunscreen, go protest, <laughs> drink your water, go, go enjoy, have fun storm in the castle. Like that's who I am now. <laughs> so... I just picture you this like witch in the woods, like <laughs> <laughs> enjoy yourself kids for justice. <laughs> I'll have soup on the stove. Yeah. <laughs> If you get arrested, call me. I'll be right there. Like, that's who I have to be now. Like, I just don't have the ability to stand in the hot sun for eight hours and yell. I just can't. I'm old. And so, but for a long time, I was, uh, I answered the phones and I didn't do a lot of this for long term. I did each of these for like two or three years because it's hard. I volunteered answering the phones at a rape crisis center for a couple of years at two different ones. And I also did clinic escorting in two different states for about a year each. Um, And so I sort of knew my way around like the activist landscape, even though I'm not like a part of it like that anymore, because I'm, I've moved into doing, you know, writing strongly worded letters and editing anthologies, part of my exciting career. So I sort of knew what I wanted to do, but I definitely wanted to put like a lot of thought in it. And I wanted to make sure that it wasn't just going to like proceeds go to like whatever gigantic multi-billion organization that doesn't need my help. Like I didn't want to do that. Yeah. Like I wanted to like, this caused emergencies. And Mm -hmm. so I wanted to fix emergencies. And then the long-term fight is, you know, somebody else's bucket to pick up and run with and good. And I'm going to support them when they do it. We will definitely be encouraging all of our listeners to donate too, as well as buy the anthology. So it being your debut, what do you have any editing advice you would pass, pass on to another newbie? Um, There's way more work than you think there is. And what you're doing as an editor is you're spending uh, three weeks reading stories and you are spending four months doing administrative work and formatting and tasks and copy editing and proofreading and contacting people and sending out arcs. There's so much more work than you think there is. My original timeline was super short. I had to adjust it a bunch. However long you think it's going to take, uh, add three weeks to every step, just in case. Best case scenario, you'll be ahead. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> no one's going to be mad if you're early. <laughs> but it was like everything just sort of like took longer than you would think much longer than you would think. And the other piece of advice that I have is to reach out to people in the community who have done it before and they will help you. Now that I've done it, reach out to me. I will help you. If you're a first time editor and you don't know what the hell you're doing, drop in my DMs. I live all day to like, I want to see everybody win. That's sort of my thing. Like, let me help. So we originally contacted Tenebris because Tenebris had done Your Body Is Not Your Body. Mm -hmm. And we were like, any tips, guys? And they were super generous with the help, with everything that we could possibly need with advice and with, you know, uh, they put an advertisement in their newsletter for us. They've been phenomenal. And then when I was putting together the TOC, I was like sitting with the TOC editor with like my head in my hands, like, oh God, what order do these go in? And I contacted Alex Woodrow, who's the editor over at Tenebris. 
And she was so generous with her time. And she gave me such good advice. And when I was like, you know, I've got these two stories that are really vying for the ending spot for like that punch you in the face spot. Like, what do I do? She like gave me like really great advice about what to do with both of them. She was phenomenal. And so like the other piece of editing advice I have, especially in the horror community, we are all so generous and so giving and so like cool with each other that when, when like the chips are down, ask your community for help. If you don't know what you're doing, somebody's going to help you. They are such champions over at Tenebris. It's, I don't know how, I don't know how they give, give, give all the time and like still have energy to put into their own stuff. I cannot rock stars. And like, and like, I've got a book over there too, but like with Carson, but like they have nothing to do with like aseptic and faintly sadistic CHM is putting it out. Tenebris isn't printing it. And they were still immediately like, we're going to help. Let's help. Just fantastic people. That's amazing. I like that the the name of this podcast is going to be fuck you, you fucking fucks. And it's all going to be me talking about how wonderful everybody is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We do want to talk a little bit about your book that you have with them too. So uh, maybe this is a good time to start that. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about Post Haste Manor? Oh, soon. It's coming soon. Um, When's that one coming out? Does it have a timeline? Tentatively, I believe we're set for October. It's publishing. It doesn't feel soon. I want it now. (laughs) I know. I know. And Carson's got soft targets coming out in March 1st. And so he's going to be doing that. And then we're going to be working together for Post Haste. Um, Post Haste Manor is a co-written book. Like some some of us have referred to it as like a, a set of interconnected short stories. Some folks have referred to it as like a novel and composite so it's a book. We wrote a book. <laughs> we know that. So Post Haste Manor came about actually because Carson and I are both members of Howls, uh, the book club discord. Shout out to Howls. You should join over there too. And he had a story in Apex that I read and I was really blown away by. And I had a story in Black Static that he said he really liked. And he was like, we should work together. I was like, yeah, all right, whatever. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Fine, fine, fine. Because you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that stuff comes up all the time. It's like, you know, when you see someone, they're like, let's get together. And you're like, okay, yeah. Yeah, great, whatever. Like, or like that part of the evening where like you're, you and your friends are so drunk that you're like, we're going to move to Alaska and we're going to ice fish, man. Like, <laughs> like, I figured it was just that part of the day. But we started talking back and forth and we landed on really quickly the idea of this haunted house and doing sort of people who had lived there at different times, a whole bunch of people who had lived there to give like this full picture of what it was really like. And so that that's sort of how we started it. And then uh, that's, I think the concept is really cool and it lends itself really well to like co-writing. I haven't done much co-writing myself, but I was wondering like, what was your actual process? Like, did you have like meetings where you would check in? Did you like write totally separately and like find a way to mesh them together. It should have been a disaster. I just want to like, but here's the thing. Our co-writing process was incredible. I had a great time. We had absolutely no problems. It should have been a disaster. Like when I look (laughs) at all of the pieces, I'm like, wow, my ancestors really were like, we'll just make this work. Cause like, like, first of all, I'm an only child. So we're starting at a deficit. 
right? Like I already know that like, I am not inclined to listen to other people. I'm like (laughs) not inclined to deal with anything I don't want to deal with. And like, like I have only child problems that I know that. Um, (laughs) And second of all, we have really, really different writing styles. Carson is one of those brilliant people who can like write and edit in their head Mm. as they go. He just bangs a story out, you know, three days a week tops. It's exactly what he wanted. You read it. It's fucking genius. Fuck him. Fuck you, Carson. (laughs) Fuck you, fucking fucks. (laughs) Fuck you, Carson, you fucking fuck. Um, (laughs) And like, and he moves on. He writes very quickly. He works very quickly. He has a very definitive vision and goal when he goes Mm -hmm. in to what he's writing. I am one of those people who will write and edit a story for literally months, months and months and months. Um, Elizabeth Frankenstein is the saddest girl on earth. I wrote for six months. Water goes, sand remains. I wrote for four months. (laughs) I like am one of those people who like kind of like spit something out and then I go back and edit it piece by piece by piece. And I'm one of those people who's really like, do I want the really in this sentence or do I want the really in this sentence? (laughs) (laughs) That should have been a disaster. And it wasn't like, though it was, he was finished both pieces, the the longer stories and the shorter, the shorter pieces. He beat me by like a month to six weeks finished each time. Um, But it should have been like a year. So I think I did really well. Um, (laughs) But what we did is we talked the whole time we were writing. Like we just sort of chatted about what the other was doing. Um, And so we knew what the other one was up to in like pretty good detail at any given time. We would pick up threads from what the other one was talking about and sort of run with them in our own stories. And the constant communication, I think, was really the key to the success there. Because when it came time to edit, we found that with like a couple adjustments, we had written like a cohesive narrative, just keeping up chatter, even when we didn't know exactly what the other one had written, even when he hadn't exactly written the other thing. And so the the process for that was super fun. It was just me and Carson playing yes end for months and months, just getting weirder and grosser and stranger and like more experimental, like the whole time. It was blessed to write. I mean, you sent us a couple chapters and I, first of all, Echo's chapter is like my absolute favorite. That was <gasps> like, I think about it all the time when I pick up my cats and they're like, what's going on over there? And I'm like, what is going on over there? What is it? Who do you <laughs> see there? <laughs> that was amazing. I wrote, I wrote that story as a eulogy. And I, because when I wrote it, so for people who don't know, um, I named, I, this wasn't deliberate. I knew that I wanted to have a non-human narrator. And when I was trying to figure out which narrator, like what I was going to name the narrator, she had started getting sick. This My cat Echo was like 20 years old at the time. And she started getting sick. And I knew that like, I knew what was going on. And so I was like, you know what? All right. I've taken her to see like both oceans. She's gone on vacation. Like this cat has had everything. And I bet she'd like to be a published author too. <laughs> so, <laughs> Oh my God. I named it after her. And I sort of, I don't know. I don't want to say like the character is her because that's fucking weird. But like, <laughs> do you know how like you have your pets and you have your idea of what their personality is sort totally. of like just from living with this living creature every day? Yeah, absolutely. So I just sort of took that for a direction and ran with it. 
And so, yeah, that is my, that one's really close to my heart, actually. That one is, uh, it was, it is probably one of the grosser stories. And it was like, but it's also like, to me, one of the sweetest. Yeah. And so like, yeah, I'm so happy you liked it. I can't wait. For oh my God. I loved it. I like, couldn't put that. that yeah, down so, as I soon as she it. started reading it, she was like, guys, check this out. It's got a cat narrator. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It was and now nobody it, can yeah. critique it because you know, it's about my dead cat, you assholes. So it's the most genius thing you've ever read <laughs> anyone anyone who says anything else will just say fuck you you fucking fuck mm-hmm. um i'm really excited to i haven't read any of carson's chapters so i'm excited to see how they all come together and oh boy make a whole all thing. i'm gonna say and this will make sense later is i never get to be the rat that's all you <laughs> when you get to i never get to be the rat if you don't just die right, it's in my opinion the best the best line. He wrote the best story in the book. I'm just picturing where that could be going. It's, <laughs> it's, the title is I'm ninety percent certain. Don't you can get mad at me, Carson. It's uh, the title of the story is Rats and Dogs on Planet Nowhere. I read this story and I like put my head in my hands. And I just started laughing because it was so gross and so freaky and so Carson. All right. Well, you mentioned before that Carson had noticed your story, Elizabeth Frankenstein is the saddest girl on earth from black static. Um, and I had read that too. Loved it. Um, that and your water goes sand remains piece in death in the mouth. They both have really strong cultural components. Um, can you talk a little bit about how your cultures influence your stories? So for those of you who are new to me, I am both Armenian and Jewish, uh, which makes me, I think, the mid boss of like generational trauma. And I'm not the end boss, but I'm definitely, <laughs> definitely like an elite enemy of generational trauma. And so a lot of times, like I bring that with me. One of the things that I do, and I did this in both Elizabeth Frankenstein and in Water Ghost Sand Remains, um, one of the things that I do, it's really comforting me. I, I tend to sit in one or the other. I tend to either write a character who's Jewish or a character who's Armenian. Mm. And part of that is because, like, that's my experience, right? Like, my cultures are beautiful. They deserve to be shared. And, like, when a character sits down at a table and I'm like, okay, what's at this table? I don't see, like like eggnog <laughs> what about like meatloaf is there meatloaf on the table? There, is, there is there is a huge italian meatloaf there is <laughs> but do you know what i mean I, when i sit down at a table and i'm like what's at this table it's olives it's halva it's lavash do you know what i mean and so like to me it's always really easy to be like oh, okay well this character's name is like Hosmik now. Uh, but one of the reasons that I pick one or the other and sit in it is because for one thing for me it's really comforting to write someone who like just naturally fits. It's relaxing to put down cuz I've sort of got like a foot in both worlds. I have like very wobbly and there are people who like wouldn't consider me either. Do you know what I mean? That I wouldn't be yeah. Armenian enough or Jewish enough. I'm just some like, I don't know, nowhere man, hatched from an egg, no parents, no culture. But like, so for me, it's really comforting sometimes to put some of that static down and just sit comfortably in like one aspect of my identity. And the other reason that I tend to sit in one is because it's so specific of a background that I felt like if I wrote a character who was both Armenian and Jewish, 
I'm like, this might be really egotistical, but I feel like it would invite you to like read me into mm. it. Okay, I'm like, yeah. I'm, I am not these people. Mm. <laughs> these, these people in my work behave very poorly. I am not these people. Uh, <laughs> so, so like if I ever make like a mixed Armenian and Jewish character, it's going to have to be like an 80 year old dude who like works as a security guard. Like I'm going to have to make it so far removed. Like there is no way that you are going to be able to try and read me into this. Um, Because it's something that a lot of people do, especially when they're encountering literature from a culture that's sort of not their own. Is they're sort of like, oh, well, this is the author's Mm. thing. Well, now I'm scared to write anything anymore. (laughs) I think I'm some weird queer robot fucker. It's going to be crazy. Yeah, I thought you were. I thought you were a serial killer, Alan. I thought you were a weird queer robot fucker. That's why I'm here. Yeah, obviously. Well, we'll that see. one's true. We'll, we'll, we'll. But no, like when you're writing from the point of view of like a marginalized ethnicity, like you can be expected a lot of the times to have to be the spokesman. Mm. And like nobody wants me to have that job. I don't want that job. The Armenian community doesn't want me to have that job. The Jewish community doesn't want me to have that job. Nobody wants me to have that job. So I try not to like, I don't want like, myself to get read into my stories a lot other parts of me are in there like like grief and rage and anger and things like that I I put in there but I try not to invite folks to read me into it but I do want them to experience like how wonderful my cultures are and like how beautiful these stories are and how interesting like our lives are like that's super important to me what's your take on people writing from a a cultural or a a religious or a a identity-based point of view in their story um, that they don't have any experience from. I'm personally on the team that says, I don't think these people have a right to do it, particularly if it's it's intrinsically trying to say something about that culture. Um, What what do you say to people who who would try and write a story about Judaism or would try and write a story about being um, an Armenian woman? And they were not themselves. What what would you say to that? I think that there are like every representation of a culture that is not your own is not necessarily like appropriation. Appropriation is something that happens in a very specific context. Um, and, And it's wrong. Don't get me wrong. It's wrong and it's horrible. But like it's appropriation has like a lot of things that go along with it that like make it appropriation Mm -hmm. um and so like just having somebody have like a jewish character in a story or whatever doesn't really bother me it's visibility over appropriation in that case yeah that doesn't bother i mean like why wouldn't you have like a jewish character in the story an armenian character in the story we fucking exist like do you know what i mean like i'm right here um (laughs) but do you know what i mean but when you're trying to write like specifically like water ghost sand remains was set in the armenian genocide Mm -hmm. and so for something like that i almost think that i mean you can try whatever you want and okay but (laughs) but you own you i feel like if you're not in it you're almost guaranteed to miss something yeah and it's one of the reasons why i tend to write where I know yeah. because I feel like no matter how much education I've had, no matter how much, for example, like I've read a ton of like black literary theory. I've run a ton of black literature. I've run, read a ton of black nonfiction, like black people exist. I'm interested in what they have to say, but I'm still never going to know what it's like. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And if I'm going to sit down and write a black character and the point is that I'm trying to parse, like, I don't know, the theme of this is like parsing racism. 
Mm. I'm never going to be able to see it fully because like I stand over here and they stand over here and we can't see the whole ball at the same time. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's just sort of how that works. Yeah. And so like, I think that a lot of times when you do it, you're setting yourself up to fail. I think you're setting yourself up to fail. And I think that, I don't know. I also think that other people's trauma is not yours for the mining. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, agreed. I would feel like, how do I put this? I would have some feelings if, for example, especially because like our tragedy is so unknown and we're, we're so like Armenians don't get any attention, which is why I talk about it all the time. I would feel some kind of way if like Chelsea published the first horror book on the Armenian genocide. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't dare. But do you know what I mean? Like, like, even if you did it all justice, I still feel like I would have some feelings. Yeah. I'm always interested in, in different cultures and, and how they view other people trying to say something for them. Because I just don't think, I think there are enough stories in the world to tell from your own point of view. Even mm-hmm. if you are just the boringest fucking white man in the world, there's a story to be told there. Like, talk about how boring you are. That's still a story. That's um, a story. I was, I, I'm just personally curious as, as a woman who is, as you say, from two marginalized cultures uh, and, and being a woman as well. So you, you've got the, the trifecta of just marginalization there. And, and just I'm also hearing- queer. And being yeah, queer. Like, okay. I am queer too. So it's yeah, 3D. I'm just, I'm just no, yeah, I'm just an indeterminate person. I just yeah. so, so, so you have I'm actually just, no rights. Sorry. I'm just, listening, yeah, I'm just, just listening to you talk and just thinking like I have so much like knowledge and experience to mine from you. It, that was a purely selfish question, just to see somebody smarter, somebody more well read, somebody who's a better writer than I am, and how they fit their their identity into what they write. And yeah, that was really, it was really interesting for me, even if we don't use any of it at all. It was just really, really good for me to hear that from you. I'm still trying to figure out who I am. And, and the only part of my identity I really know anything about is that I'm queer. So, uh, you know, all my stories come from there, but there's more of me than just that. So. Oh, my ego, my ego appreciates that. Actually, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it actually, it, inter- it, my background's also come up in my writing in that other way. Like I was talking about that, like, to some people, I'm just like an indeterminate person. Like I'm secular. I'm not Armenian enough. I'm not Jewish enough. I'm not 100% of anything. Like I just b- barely exist. And a lot of what I write is that too. I tend to write like. From the negative space of the culture. Yes. Or from people who have like a foot in two worlds. Like and don't fringe. necessarily belong in either. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Who will meet resistance in both. And so, like, I guess, I know, I guess that's what I'm working through in therapy this month. <laughs> I've written stories where I've worried while writing, are people going to think this is what I think, or this is like about me? And there's even been stories like I've like handed to like my mom, and I'm like, don't let dad read this; he'll think it's about me. Like, <laughs> oh my god, I spend a lot of time thinking about that. Like, am I overstepping my boundaries in my? Do you know what I mean? Like. Yeah. There's been some stuff that I wrote that I wrote that was Armenian and I decided I didn't want to say it in front of non-Armenians and I cashed it. Do you know? I was like, no, this is going to be cannibalized. I just, this is just, I don't want to say this. I'm, I have to realize that like, there's a couple of us. You're only going to run into like a handful of Armenian spec fic writers. Mm. And I don't want, I have to be conscious of like, even if I don't want to be the spokesman, like people may do that. Yeah, and so, so I, 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 I look at stuff and cash it when I'm like, mm, 
this isn't the part of my experience that I want to share with anybody who isn't of my experience. Yeah. And then, and then you, you always know? have that that issue as well, writing horror and trying to write convincing villains from a potentially cultural <sighs> or, or background thing. Like, I love a problematic gay man. I think there are so oh. many of them in the world and they are so interesting to be mined and I want all of my characters to be problematic gay men. But I, I also don't want people to think that I am a problematic gay man. I'm, uh, mm-hmm. I'm... But you are. Well, yeah, obviously, but nobody else knows that. Like, <laughs> calm down. Other people know that. <laughs> no, it does. It lives. It does. It lives in your head, I think. And I think that if you're not the type of person who wants to think about this, then I guess don't and good luck. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm not going to mm-hmm. beat you with a baseball bat, but... If you are the kind of person who thinks that this is something that you're supposed to be thinking about, like, I feel like it takes up like a good amount of cylinders every time I sit down to write, like, what am I putting in this world? Like, what am I putting out here? There's always that voice in the back of my head that goes, no, this isn't something that you want attached to you. This isn't something that you want to say. And Mm -hmm. maybe it's just that that's striving because we want our work to be taken seriously. We want people to come back to us and go, I believe that what you say has a point, has a meaning, that none of this is pointless, what you're doing right now. And I think that that just for people who are super conscientious, that is Mm -hmm. a a huge thing that takes up brain space. And that's plus there are things that I want to read that I don't necessarily want to put out in the world. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like. And, and so I, I think about that a lot. I don't know. People say that when you when you do that, it makes your fiction safe or boring. But I feel like work that upholds the status quo, like, is just too, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. mm. if you're upholding the status quo, what are you really doing? Is it re- like, is that really like toothy, hardcore writing? Or are you just like... Finding that middle ground where, like, you don't want to hurt anyone by doing mm-hmm. it. But you also yeah. cannot just stay inside this, this preformed box that says this is it exactly what i'm allowed to do and this is only what i'm Mm -hmm. going to do and especially me because i'm mad as hell all the time but i fucking love mad women in fiction i'm like yes Mm -hmm. you've just created a new fiction um subgenre which is the real housewives of hysterical horror (laughs) Um, oh my god we should write (laughs) that that queen i (laughs) i have several stories that amount to a woman is so fucking mad that the world ends. And that's just my brand now. That's what we're doing. I, love I just keep I writing this and I'm like, let's go. Okay. I know, Ellen, you have to read Elizabeth Frankenstein. Um, but it's I don't think you can get it digitally. He's in England, isn't he? When I type um, Black Static into my search, it brings up your issue because I have like <laughs> gone to that site. <laughs> oh, it is listed in pounds. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're a UK magazine. Oh, excellent. I'll pick that up. Never mind, Ellen. You have to buy it now. I'm going to. Yeah. Just buy that one. And uh, the, the one that's coming out now is the last one. Oh, yeah. Shit. Didn't they, they say that before? Do we know? No. They, he said that he's going to be retiring. But this time, oh. all of the stuff that's come out has been like, it's the last issue of Black Static. I feel like Indiana Jones getting under the door with his hat. Like, yes. You just got right there. before the door. It was a. Dr- it's been a dream of mine for like a minute, and so like I feel like oh my god, like right before the door closed, right in my face. Yes, yes, yes. That's so amazing. That's cool. You should be very proud of it. That's a great story. Also a joy to work with. I haven't really worked with anybody yet where I'm like you fucking assholes, like you fucking fucks. Just the pro lifers in my inbox. Everybody in the community is like professional and together. No problem so far. Or at least we play it on TV. (laughs) Right. It's been awesome talking about your process a little bit. No, talking back and forth about like craft and hard stuff. Like I love doing stuff like that, especially with when it's someone like you 
who like I really admire and really like, like I like having my own thinking advanced. Please, please bother me all day. Okay. 60,000 word book income. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, can you just professionally edit this? Um, All right. I guess as a good wrap up question, um, what's a common piece of writing advice that you reject? I'm allergic to hustle culture. Anything, anything that even has a whiff of hustle culture to it. I can't do it. Get up 15 minutes early to write like that whole thing, like spoken by people who have never known what it's like to be truly exhausted mentally, physically, and emotionally. Like if you're not writing, maybe it's not your drive. Maybe it's not your willpower. Maybe you need a fucking nap. I steal this from my therapist all the time. You cannot pour from an empty cup. Yes. Like it's not about for me getting up 15 minutes early always finding 15 minutes during a day to write. That's not how it works for me. Anyway, I write like I've been possessed by the devil for six hours until four in the morning. And then I spend seven days recovering from that. Like, like, and so no, like, man, go to yoga, spend the extra time to like make the dinner that you really want. And not just the one that's easier, take the nap. And like, what comes out of you is going to be so much better than if you did this weird disciplinarian. Yeah. No, don't yes. do it. Just, I mean, it might you work can, for you can tell, can't you? You can look back at your own work and you can go, I was on autopilot when I wrote this. This is just words in a sentence. This is nothing mm-hmm. to yeah. do with the, the usual well of inspiration that I draw from. My muse is not here in this one. This is filler and I'm going to have to write this again later anyway. So what's the point of writing it now? Right. I may as well have done something I enjoyed because that's exactly yeah. it. What comes out of me when I'm like, no, it's your fifth time for your 15 minute slog, even though you're not in the mood. Is yeah. Five sentences. Okay. Like, yeah. yeah. Sometimes to me, that's like why I can't like do like group sprints all the time mm-hmm. either. Cause I'm like, I can't just force out a hundred words if I, if I don't feel it. Like, yeah. I need, I definitely, need, I call myself a spark writer. I'm like, I need that spark yeah. and then I can. Yes. Do it. I call it being possessed, but yeah, that's exactly. way cooler. <laughs> I, I just call it writing. And it's what happens <laughs> every like two weeks where I write 7,000 words and then I don't write anything for 30 days. It's awesome to hear different people's processes though. Cause I think you can get stuck in like, oh, I'm not doing it right. And like, you can start to feel self-conscious if like you aren't having a daily productivity set or whatever. So I write on my phone, like I'm a SoundCloud rapper. We're going to be fine. The thing that went in Black Static, <laughs> Elizabeth Frankenstein was written in my phone notes. Love it. I took it out of that and then played with it afterward. You know what I mean? Like I edit out of there because you need to, I can't look at a screen like this big and do it. Yeah. But like, same. No, I wrote it in my phone notes. Write it, you know, write in your phone. It's fine. It doesn't mean you're unprofessional. Go to sleep. Like just write by hand, scream, like do whatever you need to do. It's got nothing to do with your willpower. Also, I, I highly recommend as well getting whiteboard markers, those easy wipe off markers and writing all over your windows and mirrors. Yes. Oh, that's I fun. That. Well, thanks so much for sharing all of your process and your works coming out. We're so excited to, well, I'm, I think I speak for all of us. Yeah. So excited to read both aseptic and Bailey statistic as well as post taste manner and your collection in two years. I'll be picking yeah. that up too. Yay. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This has been wonderful i'll come back anytime and yell about anything you like oh, absolutely we will have can you anytime you want before we close out can you tell us where we can find you on the internet like your handles and your website and stuff 
You can find me everywhere at Jolie Tumajon. It's all at Jolie Tumajon. Um, the Twitter is at Jolie Tumajon. The Instagram is at Jolie Tumajon. The Spoutable is at Jolie Tumajon. The TikTok is at Jolie Tumajon. All there. All there. You're on My TikTok? website is super out of date. So don't, <laughs> don't go there. <laughs> Are you TikToking with the Gen Zers? I'm not. I was a little bit. I was thinking about it. Like, so this is fun to tell you the end of a podcast. I hate the sound of my own voice. Oh, same. <laughs> Understand. Yeah. I'm really self-conscious about my accent and whether I'm suppressing my accent. And you know what uh-huh. I mean? And so like. I think you sound lovely. I yeah, might do it lovely. in a, I might do like everybody lip syncs. So maybe I'll just like lip sync to things and then I'll never have to worry. <laughs> If I sound like Janice from Friends. <laughs> you should do um, that witch voice we were practicing earlier. earlier. Just do, and everyone will just think you sound like that all the time. <laughs> the activism <laughs> witch. <laughs> Have fun, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Go throw okay. a brick. All cops are bastards. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to. Uh, this has been the Cutthroat Queens podcast. We are your hosts, Chelsea Pumpkins, styled today by the softer side of Sears, hair and makeup by the Indigo Girls. Everyone's <laughs> fa- <laughs> fuck, that's so mean. Everyone's favorite lecherous uncle, Brett, Brett Mitchell Kent. And with the unearned confidence of a white Christian college girl, I am Elton Skelter. We have been the Cutthroat Queens, and you are welcome. That's the end. Sorry, I'm so Yay! Good job.